0: Disclaimer, the following podcast deals with suicide and depression, and contains language that may not be suitable for some audiences. Welcome to Vanta, Episode 4, Conclusions. There's a sort of comfort in holding it. My cardboard box. My six-sided slice of the forest, scented of earthy fragrances redolent of bark, though most times my whiff is of whatever conveyor belt held it before me. The cardboard is slightly warped on both sides from where the sweat of my palms graces the box. It is sealed with a strip of invisible packing tape that runs from the top, dashes along the sides, and zips across the bottom. The contents are of no concern, though I am frequently bombarded with questions. Why do you carry that thing around? Do you sleep with that? Have you ever told anyone what's inside? What's inside that box? I'm not at liberty to say. I descend the staircase, box under my arm. My wife has prepared me a spot at the kitchen table. I take a seat, setting the box down on the table beside me. Really, honey? Do you have to put that thing on the table? We discussed this. My eyes meet hers, and she gestures at the box. Move it, she tells me silently. I pick it up and place it on the floor beside my chair. That's better. Shortly thereafter, my son comes bounding down the stairs. Taking one look at the room, I'm certain he can sense the lingering tension. He joins me at the table, resting his head in his palm. He asks, Do you think we could throw the football today? I flash him a kind smile, one that parents give their kids to let them down gently. He responds with a sigh and mumbles, I understand. As I eat, I occasionally glance down at the box, not unlike one who would glance down at the family dog to ask if they wanted some of your food. My wife's gaze pierces my face like a blunt blade. And I glance up at her. She shakes her head disapprovingly several times. Shrugging, I stand up, grabbing the box. I give my wife a kiss, thanking her for breakfast and leave for work. Not-so-quiet whispers pelt me as I enter the office. I heard he's carrying around severed limbs in that box. No way he's carrying around the ashes of some deceased relative. You sure? Because I've heard from some pretty reliable sources that it's actually just an oversized lunch box. I take a seat at my cubicle, and the office wanderer and local busybody, Gerald, walks over. Hey, pal, how was your weekend? I give him a thumbs-up, followed by a curt grin, and return to my work. Good to hear, good to hear. You see, me and some of the other... He fails to finish his thoughts as he thrusts a pair of scissors towards my cardboard. I move it, and he lands just shy. Damn it, he says a bit too loudly. He glances around to see if anybody's heard his outburst. He leans in and whispers, Come on already, just tell me what's inside the box. Just between us, all right? I shake my head and he takes his cue to leave. Fine, fine. I'm surprised you're even allowed to carry that thing around. The following day requires a trip to the grocery store. My wife informs me that we're out of milk and eggs, so I take my leave. The sliding doors open before me, gates to the infinite array of possibilities that await me inside my local supermarket. As I enter, I'm greeted by a slew of curious faces. Employees and shoppers alike are most likely wondering why I'm carrying with me a box. I smile kindly and make my way to the back where the milk and eggs are kept. I grab several dozen eggs, stacking them on the box, and struggle to balance as I reach for a carton of milk. A young man approaches me. You need help, dude? His voice was tinged with concern. I shake my head. You sure? Your hands look pretty full. (laughs) He lets out a dry chuckle. After repeating my previous gesture, he steps away. I enter a checkout line, and the mother and her several children waddle in after me. Her children shoot me queer glances. The smallest one yanks his mother's dress and asks her, why is that man carrying a box? His mother, noticing my staring, looks at me and mouths, I'm sorry. The cashier cuts in, asking to look at the box, most likely toying with the idea that I've stashed something inside. I show her, and she glances at the tape. My apologies, go on through, she laughs. Have a great day. I wave and the cashier, mother, and her children all watch me closely with the utmost perplexity, most likely wondering, what's in that box? My wife greets me at the door when I arrive home. So, how many people? I grimace. I'm telling you, one of these days you're going to get yourself in trouble, carrying that damn thing around. Come on, hand me those eggs. That night, I awoke to the sound of rustling on the floor beside me and my wife's bed. I sit up and turn on the lamp on my nightstand. Light bathes the room, driving away shadows, revealing my son on his haunches fiddling with the box. A stern expression overtakes my face. He puts a finger to his mouth and whispers, Please don't wake Mom. I pull back the covers and slide to the edge of the bed. I had a dream that I opened the box and there were galaxies inside. They exploded in the room, filling my lungs with stardust and scattering brilliant orbs all around. And I went swimming in the universe. A head tilt and slow blink were not the response he was hoping for. You always tell me I'll find out soon enough, but you don't mean it. My son reflexively covers his mouth, realizing he spoke too loudly. My wife stirs on the other side of the bed. His voice dropped to little more than a murmur. I'm sorry, I'll go to bed now. As he tiptoes from the room, I scoot back into bed and click the light. My wife, still intoxicated by sleep, mumbles, Honey, who that? I give her a kiss on the cheek and roll over. I'll be right back, Mom. I'm going to the basement to search for something really quick. The cellar light awakens, and my son slowly descends the wooden staircase that groans under each step. There, at the top of a stack of boxes that nearly kisses the low ceiling, is the box. He recognizes it immediately from the familiar hand-shaped bloom of mold sprouting on either of the box's two sides. Carefully, he removes the box, avoiding the splotches of mold, and sets it on the cold cement floor. From his pocket, he retrieves a box cutter. I know you're shaking your head up there, Dad, but I need to know. He plunges the blade into the line of tape and glides it effortlessly through the adhesive. Utterly engrossed in his actions, he fails to detect his mother's approach. She stands there in the small space with him. I knew exactly what you came here to do. His head shoots up. Jesus, Mom! You scared me! She points at the box. Well, go on. Open it. You've waited this long. The unsealed flaps wave with anticipation. He leans down and pries them open, peering inside, hoping to satiate his voracious curiosity. A confused look paints his face, followed by a wave of understanding that gradually washes it over. Nothing. A sly grin forms on his mother's lips. What did you really expect? You knew your father. All his secrets died with him. He looks up and smiles. I know he can see me smiling back. Love you, Dad. I was standing by the door of my mother's hospital room. The whir of her bed filled the space as she adjusted to an upright position. James, come over here. I'm not going to shout at you from across the room. I sighed as I approached her and took a seat in one of the chairs by her bed. Isn't that better? She reached out and touched my face. I took her hand. What were you thinking? That I wanted a slight high? Were you planning on joining Dad to get your slight high? She rolled her eyes. That's a touch dramatic, don't you think? I don't think we should be joking here, Mom. You know what I found funny? (laughs) My room number, 216, it's your birthday. Now you're trying to change the subject. I wonder if it's a coincidence. Let's get back to the matter at hand, please. Do you even know what you took? That's not important. My new guy's a prick. I always get a shitty cut. It's not like this is chemistry. Oh wait, that's exactly what it is. She let out a dry chuckle. It was a slip, all right? I've been doing better. I had. But I've been thinking about your father. So, I screwed up again. You two were always so perfect. No, we're not doing this, Mom. Look, I took too much. I don't know what I would have done if Mrs. Wilkinson hadn't stopped by. Said she hadn't seen me. Wanted to make sure I was doing alright. You got really lucky. Yeah. James, there's a reason your father's been on my mind. We need to... A nurse entered the room, punctuating my mother's thought. I'm sorry, Miss Wallace, but we're going to have to ask your son to leave. Visiting hours ended ten minutes ago. She glared at me as if I were intentionally making her job more difficult. Mom, I'm going to wait here, okay? We'll talk in the morning. Try to get some rest. I love you. She looked at me with glistening eyes and smiled. The low drone of distant voices, paired with the incessant buzzing of overhead lights, made hospitals at night a particularly eerie scene. I was already regretting my decision to stay, as the smell of the freshly waxed floor was making me nauseous. Plus, the sunken-in waiting room chairs were not particularly comfortable. Naturally, my mind drifted to thoughts of my mother. How many times would she make the same mistake, and how many more chances did she have? My heart rate quickened in my chest. An obnoxiously loud drumming pounded in my ears as my blood pushed through my veins. I took several deep breaths as I retrieved my phone and earbuds from my pocket. We're going to be doing something completely different for our show today. Rather than simply discuss a creative writing-based study, we will have you, the listener, participate in a writing activity following this brief introduction. If you do not already have something you can write with, I suggest you go and grab that right now. Our writing exercise for today comes from Writing Well, Creative Writing and Mental Health, co-written by Deborah Phillips, Deborah Penman, and Liz Linnington. Each of these authors has a background to some extent in the field of mental health. Deborah Phillips is a professor at the prestigious Brunel University, a university in London, and facilitates a creative writing group at an adult day hospital. Deborah Penman trained as an occupational therapist at St. Louis College in London, and Liz Linnington trained at Brunel University and has experience working in psychiatric hospitals. In the introductory chapter of their book, they briefly detail the use and effectiveness of creative writing for those struggling with mental health issues. Creative writing is certainly a means through which patients can confront the difficult areas of their life. However, there are other uses as well. Another use that is not as frequently discussed is the evocation of positive memories. Revisiting these positive memories can have a beneficial influence on the patient's outcome and treatments. At this point, we have exhausted the benefits of creative writing on mental health, but another benefit, from a source cited within their book, indicates that researchers discovered that creative writing pairs well with other forms of therapy and actually enhance said other forms. Additionally, creative writing serves as a self-esteem booster. The act of conquering bad memories as well as being able to craft a creative piece based on this information allows patients to glimpse at their value and creative ability. Now, for a writing exercise, and remember this comes from writing well, creative writing and mental health, recall a situation in which you felt threatened or scared. Consider the following as you write. Where were you? What made you first aware of the threat? What happened? How did you react? How did the threat recede and how did you cope afterwards? Finally, how did you feel after the situation? Did you or anyone else make yourself feel better? Better 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 When I was little, I was always terrified of thunder. My father would tell me that thunder was the sound of angels' bowling, but that seldom made me feel any better. The vibrations suffused the air and sent shockwaves through the house's foundation, jolting me awake. There was no way I was getting back to sleep on my own. I would have gone to my father, but he was away on business, somewhere dry and quiet, I imagined. My mother hated to be awoken, and I had a feeling the thunder had disturbed her to the degree it had disturbed me. However, these were dire circumstances. I silently walked to my parents' bedroom and crept inside. Through the clamorous fit of rain-like bullets assaulting the house, I could hear my mother's soft snoring. Just as I approached her sleeping form, thunder roared, and I jumped, squeaking like a terrified mouse. My mother stirred. James, what are you doing? Sleep slurred her speech. I got scared. The thunder woke me up. Honey, there's nothing to be scared of. You're safe, I promise. Go back to sleep. She stretched and rolled over. There was a growl of thunder, and the house trembled as if it were scared, too. Mom, can I sleep in here with you, please? I don't want to go back to my room. My mother once again rolled over, and I could just barely discern her face in the dark room. There was silence for several seconds before she spoke. Fine. Climb on up. She lifted her blankets and patted a spot on the bed next to her. I quickly climbed into bed and hid under the covers. You better not be a kicker like your father, or I'll be kicking you out. She chuckled. You're safe now, James. Don't worry. Apparently I drifted off, because the next thing I remember was being shaken awake by a member of the hospital staff. Kid, hey kid, you good? I opened my eyes slowly, blinking several times to allow them to adjust to the harsh, unnatural lighting. Yep, I'm fine. You're Janice's kid, right? One of the nurses told me you stayed overnight. Clearly you had a nice nap. Hearty laughter erupted from his chest. Point is, your old lady's up. She asked about you. You might want to pop in and see her. Will do. Thanks. I responded, still half asleep. My mother was fussing with her nurse when I entered. Can you bring me some egg that has some more, I don't know, flavor, please? Thank you. The nurse flashed me a half-hearted smile as she passed me and left the room. Are you causing trouble already? "'What can I say? Hospital food is awful. "'Come over here. Sit down.' "'I joined her at her bed. "'So what did you want to tell me about Dad?' "'She closed her eyes as if to draw forth the memory from the recesses of her mind. "'Your father was a very complicated man. "'I know he loved you very much and felt comfortable confiding most things in you, but... "'There were some things he didn't tell you.' "'I stared at her with a blank expression, pondering where this was going. "'Your father was sick, James.' Sick? In what way? He was depressed, but that didn't start until... Her words trailed off. My patience was growing thin. Mom, come on, just spit it out. There was scar tissue building up in his lungs. Pulmonary fibrosis, the doctors told him. Terminal, of course. Your father was terrified. He barely wanted to tell me. He told as few people as possible. He thought it would somehow make the whole situation less real. He didn't want to admit it himself. And he didn't want to scare you, make you question his resilience. All at once the memories flooded back. My father's coughing. My father's I, coughing. Thought it from a I thought it was from a cigarette. Was it because he smoked? Was it because he smoked? When I overheard their conversation. A test. I overheard their a test. A test. How long was he sick? Why didn't he tell me? Why, why, did he tell why did he end his, his end life? Why Is why this the end of his life? James. James, are you alright? My vision was swimming with several hard blinks stilled the motion you had this distant look in your eyes i shook my head fine i'm fine i could feel my breathing growing shallow i stood up the walls of the room shifted and closed in beads of sweat gathered on my brow is it warm in here no james are you sure you're okay pins and needles pricked and prodded my flesh the floor was suddenly made of rubber james sit down you're shaking My body was still, but my mind gyrated, trapped in a spin cycle. Before long, the ground was rushing up at me. Kiddo, I promise I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here. I'll be right here. James! James! Can you hear me? James! I slowly opened my eyes. Staring back were several concerned faces. Can I get some space? I managed. Give him some space, guys. James, I'm going to sit you up. Can you sit up? I think so. I slowly leaned up. The man stood up. Thanks, everyone. Soon, the room cleared out. Well, at least you didn't hit your head, my mother remarked. I looked over at her. Why would he keep such a big secret from me? Didn't he trust me? I don't know if we should continue talking about this right now. I want to know. I already told you. He didn't want you to think any differently about him. Like a bubble, a thought popped into my head. There's a sort of comfort in holding it. What? My cardboard box. James, I can't understand you. I found that box of Dad's writing. My mother shook her head. I hid those for a reason. There was this one story that really stood out to me. It was about this man who carried around a cardboard box. He was talking about himself, wasn't he? I didn't want you to find out about your father's illness that way. That's why I hid his work. There were quite a few pieces like that. I guess I'm thankful you didn't catch on as quickly as I thought you would. I just can't believe he'd keep something like that from me for so long. It had more to do with his pride than anything. Don't take it too personally. He wanted to tell you, James. Believe me. He could never bring himself to do it. I guess his death makes a lot more sense now. He couldn't let a disease take him out. He had to call the shots, always. Always, I repeated. A silence fell upon the room and lingered there for a moment. James, I've decided I'm going to get help. Proper help this time. I collected myself and made my way onto my feet. I approached her bed and she grabbed my hand, squeezing it. I'm going to stick around for you, love. We wanna always see each other, but you can come visit me anytime at the facility. Are you serious about it this time? I've never been more serious in my life. She stared into my eyes. I could see tears collecting. We're going to get through this, Mom. I know we will. We will. Passion like fire blazed from within, echoing in the corridors of the castle. Legions of embers and armies of leaden clouds sieged. But ashes are proof. That greatness once existed. Every fire glows with hope. Thank you for listening. Vanta is an independently produced storytelling podcast that features real research. All sources consulted for this episode are cited in the episode notes. Sound effects from freesound.org.